I'm assuming that you want to break into tech because you want a career. You're not just like, I need a job, let me go try to break into tech. So if it's a career that you're looking for, if you were to find yourself in a situation where you were laid off, unfortunately it's the people who have more experience who are gonna have an easier time finding a new gig. If it's longevity that you want, I think putting off starting your career, it could actually end up hurting you in the long run. Now, am I gonna pretend that everything is like roses and flowers right now and it's amazing and it's so easy to break into tech? No, I mean, that would be absolutely crazy. There is no perfect time. And if you spend all of your time sharpening the ax and no time chopping down the tree, well then you'll freeze to death because you never mm -hmm. get the firewood. You've yep. got to jump at some point and just get mm -hmm. in. Yep. All right. How are we doing, folks? Thank you for joining us. You're listening to Lifetime Value, the customer success podcast, where we help you wrap up the week that was in customer success and start you off on the right foot for the one ahead of you. I am your host, a younger, maybe not so wise, but no less talented wizard of Customer Success Podcast. My name is Dylan Young, and this week's guest of honor, we're going to play a little bit of a guessing game. She is a CS vet, having spent 10 years in the role in various industries, and now runs an eponymous training program where she and her team help people land customer success jobs through one-to-one -one coaching and courses. Everybody at home, shout out who you think it is give everybody a few seconds ladies and gentlemen we have carly agar with us today if you guess that right give yourself a pat on the back carly thank you so much for being here you're a celebrity oh dedicating my the time to me and my little podcast you know, you know it's hard the life of a celebrity no Seriously, I'm I'm not a celebrity. I appreciate what you're saying, but it's not true. I'm just a normal oh, person. <laughs> the greatest celebrities are very humble and modest. That's what I'll say. Um, I'm Carly. excited because when we last chatted, we found out that we're both in New Jersey, and uh -huh. I feel like that's kind of rare. But we might as well be in different states because you're in North Jersey. And I'm no, in South Jersey. No, not true. Okay, where are you? I'm near the beach. Okay. But I'm not, <laughs> uh, but you're right. The part on the of northern Jersey, side. The part of Jersey that you're in is a different world compared to where I am. Yes. I'll give you that. What is your perception of where I'm from? I'd love to hear this. Um, You know, not to offend anyone, but I had a mm. really good friend of mine who moved to the town that you currently live in. Mm-hmm. And she used to call it sewer, which mm. I don't think that had anything to do with the town itself. It just kind of the name sounds like that. But no, I know that you're super close to Philly, which is awesome because mm. Philly is so cool. Go so Eagles. much to do there. A lot of great food. But, you know, it's just different. What What is your area's claim to fame? Just the beach? Oh, well, I mean, everyone, when I say I live near the beach in Jersey, they say, so you live at the Jersey Shore, mm -hmm. and then I have to yeah. talk them out of that spiral. This is a, a conversation you and I had previously of you can walk 10 feet and be in a completely different like municipality in New yeah. Jersey that has its own personality, its own reputation, 
and only one of those is GTL. It's like very unlikely that that yeah. is that you are anywhere near GTL land. But right. that's what everybody thinks of when you say the Jersey Shore now. Right, right. Which is, you know, it's fair if you've never been here and that's all you have to go off of. I get it, but just open your minds. It's not all like the Jersey Shore. Or I'm certainly not spending my weekends GTLing. It reminds me, so at this conference I was just at, uh, there was a woman that I was, you know, I was kind of in like the same networking circle with this woman. And she was from outside of Toronto. Okay. In Canada. And on more than one occasion, a, I'm going to, a, a bonehead would come up to her and say, oh, do you speak French? <laughs> Which is a similar kind of just like absolutely missing the mark of how yeah. big of a country Canada is. Right. And what a small subsection of it is that speaks French. Yeah. <laughs> Same yeah. thing. Same yeah. thing. Anyway, Carly, tell us a little bit about you and your training company that you run. And am I, maybe I'm not even pronouncing or, or describing that correctly. So please feel free to correct me. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think it's fair to call it a training company, training, coaching, whatever you want to call it is fine with me. Um, I'll give you the, the short version of my story, which... I'm sure some people have already heard, but I spent a long time, you know, boots on the ground, customer success, owning a book of business. I did the the series A to series C thing a couple of times. And, you know, I reached a point in my career where not to say there wasn't anything left to learn, because I think that would be a really dumb thing to say, and it's absolutely not true, but you know, once you've been doing something for a really long time, you start to crave something different. Maybe it's, you know, you're, you're still in the same realm, but it's from a slightly different lens. And I knew I didn't want to become a manager of a CSM team, which usually when I say that, people are like, what? Why not? Um, a lot of personal reasons. I just didn't feel like it was how I wanted to spend my time. That's really what it boils down to. And so I had to find something else that where I could take my 10 years of experience and still apply it. And at the same time, I was craving something that had a little bit more meaning behind it, something that felt a little bit more impactful. You know, love my customers, but when you're, you know, helping companies like Liberty Mutual make an extra buck here and there after a while, it's like, well, am I really impacting things? You know mm -hmm. what I mean? Is mm -hmm. it really important? Um, and so I decided to kind of merge my experience with one of my passions, which has always been empowering people to take control of their careers. And so it was kind of like the perfect marriage of those two things. I think it's pretty cool because I think I might be one of those people when you say you didn't want to become a manager of CSMs, you raise yeah. one eyebrow up, but you immediately debunked what my assumption was when you said, or, or, or just in the next step you took in your career, which was still helping people, right? So mm -hmm. most people would say, oh, I want to be a people manager because I want to help other people succeed. And that is not 
not true with you. It just takes a different form. And so I think it's interesting for you to disrupt that perspective. Mm -hmm. So tell me a little bit more about what the business does on a, on a day-to-day basis. Yeah. So right now we're pretty laser focused on helping people land jobs in customer success. We have some pretty exciting things coming down the road to help people grow their careers. But right now we're really laser focused on helping people get jobs. Um, And we primarily work with career transitioners. Now that could look like a complete 180. You're moving from education, healthcare, hospitality, breaking into tech for the first time in a customer success role. It could also look like someone who's been a BDR or an AE at a SaaS company for five years, and they're looking to, for whatever reason, move out of sales into customer success. So anyone who doesn't have that direct experience on paper is primarily who we're working with. How did you choose to first work with this primary cohort, the folks mm. who are trying to make a career transition, whether it's pretty significant or or maybe um, an adjacent shift? How did you find those folks and, and why did you start to, to focus on those? Yeah, I love this question. So it's, it's pretty simple. Um, a lot of people were reaching out to me on LinkedIn this was probably two years ago when it really started. It was mostly folks moving, looking to get out of education. And they would reach out and just ask questions like, you know, what's customer success all about? Or can you take a look at my resume? Or, you know, I have this interview assignment. Like, can you look over it? And I loved helping them. I was so pleasantly surprised that there were these large groups of people totally outside of the tech world who had learned about customer success, had developed a passion for it, and were so eager to break into it. I thought that was just like the coolest thing. What I found in helping them on these one-off occasions, like, yeah, I'll help with your resume. Yeah, I'll help you get ready for this one interview was maybe it's the customer success in me, but I almost felt like I was doing them a disservice because we all know that the resume or one interview is just like one teeny tiny piece of the puzzle. Mm -hmm. There is so much more that you need to learn and get really good at in order to land a job. And so I felt like by helping on a one-off basis, I was kind of doing them a disservice. So if I helped you with your resume, I know you're going to need help getting ready for interviews, right? Mm -hmm. So it's like, yeah, I might be helping with this one thing, but am I actually making an impact? Not really. So that was kind of one of the catalysts for creating the Accelerator, which is our, our primary program right now. Then something really interesting happened, and I noticed, I want to say it was about a year ago, you know, more and more people started popping up on LinkedIn, giving advice to job seekers, which I think is great. I think if you have experience and you have the the knowledge, you should be a content creator if that's something you want to do. But I was seeing some really bad advice and almost started to notice people were preying on job seekers in a really slimy way. And that just it broke my heart because 
breaking into tech is really hard. Breaking into tech as a CSM is really, really hard. Increasingly. <laughs> yeah. And it can be overwhelming. It can, you know, cause a lot of imposter syndrome, make you feel really rejected, really overwhelmed. And when you have all this bad advice coming at you, like, how are you? You don't know better, right? Mm -hmm. And so I almost then at that point felt like now I feel like I have a duty to almost be a filter for these people in some fashion. I'm, I'm almost more personally curious about this, but how do you okay. think you, you do that where something like LinkedIn, I mean, take the algorithm out of it, right? The almighty yeah. algorithm. Yeah. But it's a democratic space, right? Anybody yeah. can say whatever they want uh, as long as you're not violating sure. the terms of service. And you can make anybody believe what you have to say. It, this strikes me. This feels um, I'm making a I'm making an argument for the likes of the George Santoses out there, <laughs> even though I should not be. Anybody's allowed to say whatever they want and convince anybody of whatever yeah. they want. So how do you yeah. combat that on, on a space like LinkedIn? Good question. I think you, maybe you're looking at it from the wrong angle. So I don't think that it's my responsibility, nor do I think that I could if I tried to, to call out people who are giving bad advice. That's mm -hmm. not, it's not in my nature. It's not anything I'm looking to get involved in. But if I can create trust through the experience that I've had and by sharing all of the data that I have, if someone decides to trust me and to look at my experience and say, hey, this is someone who is credible, I can listen to this person, mm -hmm. then that's amazing. I welcome them into my space and I'm creating the filter for them. I don't expect to be the filter for everybody. Does that answer your question? I think it does. It does yeah. and it doesn't because I don't know that there's a great answer for my question, similar to what you said, right? Like you, you can't, the answer is you can't, you can't, you can't. And so right. how do you maybe shift their perspective? And I don't know if it's fair to say, be the loudest voice in the room, but for some folks be the most trusted voice. And so then you're being compared against these other folks. And well, what, is that what Carly would think? Or, you know, and I don't, I don't necessarily think putting you on the pedestal is, is the right approach either, but no. I think that's kind of how thought leadership works. Right. And I think, you know, my approach has always been when it comes to creating content, when I sought out mentors or coaches or just helpful content when I was in the role, one of the things that drove me absolutely crazy and still does to this day is uh, fluffy advice, right? Mm. Like I you know, you open a blog article and it's like, I'm going to teach you how to be a strategic CSM. And it's like, be curious is the advice. And my takeaway from that is, well, what the hell does that mean? Like so how- Can I how challenge you on this though? Sure. Because yeah. I spent the entirety of my time at this festival poo-pooing the people who would say, here are the five tactical things I would do every day in order to be a better CSM. Mm -hmm. Because I think that is too pointed and too specific. Now, be curious. Yeah, that's some bullshit. But I think there's, a, there's something in the middle there about how to think critically about your customer's business 
and align it with your company's goals. And there is no getting away from the fact that that's going to be different for every single, every single company and the customers that they serve and probably every CSM because they're different and do things differently. Mm-hmm. Is that, fa- I don't know if I just attacked you for no reason or <laughs> stole your soapbox. No, I don't feel attacked. So what <laughs> the point that I was trying to make is I think there's too much fluffy advice out there that doesn't actually teach people the skills that they need to do the thing they're looking to do. So in the be curious example, what would have been more valuable to me is, okay, sure, be curious. I get it. That makes sense. But like, can you now teach me how to do good discovery? Because that's a skill that I can take to any company in any conversation with any stakeholder. So it's, it's teaching the underlying skills as opposed to just saying, well, you should be this or you should, you know, display this quality. Yeah. You want to take it a level deeper or maybe two levels deeper and, and understand what that means. Maybe not the step-by-step approach, but I get what you mean. Okay. I think you and I are on the same page. I, uh, I went off the top for no reason. I'm sorry. (laughs) Anyway, (laughs) how did you find customer success originally? And then why did you stick around? Yeah, great question. So I started my career at a very corporate company, like super, super stuffy and just not a lot of fun. Um, And we, everyone who started at that company was assigned a mentor at the company who was VP or higher. And my mentor was horrible. <laughs> I wouldn't even I wouldn't even call her a mentor. She was just she wasn't a great mentor. Anyway, she essentially told me that I was not cut out for sales because I wasn't making enough cold calls. Mm. And she said, "But that's really unfortunate because you're really great with customers." I was like, "Well, okay." So surely there's something I can do where I'm just working with customers and not cold calling all day. Mm-hmm. And at the time, tech was starting to become talked about more often. You know, it was kind of like this hot topic. It wasn't as popular as it is now. Oh, of course. And I was like, well, if I'm looking to grow my career, like I might as well get into tech now because this feels like the right place to be yeah, in. Not going anywhere. Yeah. And so I moved over to a teeny tiny startup. So I went from like a 10,000 plus employee company to, I think I was employee number like 17, mm-hmm. complete opposites. And I was in customer success there and I never left. So it doesn't happen as often anymore, but there's this dialogue of customer success is where salespeople who couldn't cut it go. Mm. And I want to make sure that we nip that in the bud. I I absolutely don't agree with it. And I know that that's not what you were trying to communicate, but I certainly don't want anybody to take that from what you just said. That is a bullshit thing to say. And it makes absolutely no sense once you understand what customer success does. And if you don't, it's a much larger conversation. We can go there, but yeah, never, ever, ever let anybody say that. You know, it's interesting you say that because at the time I almost felt that way from the conversation that I had with my mentor. It was like, mm-hmm. well, you're not cut out for this, but you could go try this other thing. 
obviously now I know much better. Yeah. There, it's almost difficult to even compare the two because mm -hmm. they're two totally different skill sets. So, so, so different. And within them, they can be so different. Like this whole new thing about like a digital CS. I don't, yeah. I, I wouldn't ever consider that a junior CSM. I think it's a person who knows how to have a lot of conversations with a lot of people at scale. Yes. They know how to use technology to the best of their ability to do that and can mm -hmm. still upsell, cross-sell, retain using those tools. It's kind of like fighting with one hand tied behind your back, whereas a CSM, a, a traditional one, has both hands. And so that's one one way in which you you might stratify customer success. And then within sales, there's you know, there's outside sales, there's inside sales, there's enterprise sales, there's SMB sales. It's mm -hmm. it runs the whole gamut and it's another one of those mental shortcuts people try to make that I think is just lazy. It's just lazy. Yeah. I love what you said about the scaled or the digital CSM role. Something that I'm personally really excited about is there are a lot of companies who treat that like an entry-level role, which makes sense. What I think is really cool for especially career changers is you know, these companies are treating this role like an entry-level role, which means you're more likely to have an opportunity to get hired into that role as opposed to a strategic CSM, right? That's not going to happen. But with as digital and as these scaled CSM functions within companies grow, that's a whole career path in and of itself. Yeah. Because just because you're amazing at digital scale CSM does not mean that you're going to be good at, nor are you going to like being an enterprise CSM. They can be so different. And I would say it goes both ways. An enterprise CSM is not necessarily going to be good at what you do. And so you shouldn't, yeah. you shouldn't necessarily be paid less or mm -hmm. differently. Like, don't ever think that you're second class if if that's the role you've chosen. It's it's a brand new part of customer success that there's probably a ton of question marks around from your supervisors or even, you know, other people in the industry, but don't ever discount it. It's a very powerful skill set. Yeah. And I think with it with it being immature as a function, that to me it just screams opportunity. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Carly, let's uh let's jump into a couple of topics that happened in the past week. Let's do it. I got lucky. <laughs> well, so one of these sort of <laughs> sort of started over a week ago. Yeah. But has only I thought it was one was bad enough. And then they just kept happening. I know. <laughs> and in different ways. Like they were technically well, so what we're talking about is Silicon Valley Bank and then Signature Bank and then Credit Suisse and then First Republic Bank. And what I was going to say is, OK, so they were all sort of different. SVB and Signature both failed, quote unquote. Credit Suisse got a cash infusion of $54 billion from the National Bank of Switzerland or whatever it was. And then First Republic just got an, a cash infusion from 10 other of the largest banks here in the United States to help to keep it from failing. They basically just opened checking accounts and put $30 billion in for mm -hmm. First Republic. 
so SVB was bad enough. They held, you know, all the money of the tech industry in the U.S. Mm-hmm. But then it, it these banks have gone under. Tech has taken a hit. We're going through all these layoffs at the same time. Stocks mm-hmm. have dipped pretty precipitously based on all of this. What does it mean to you? What are you thinking a week into this? Yeah, yeah. You know, I I have put a lot of thought into this because it's not something that we've really experienced before, maybe to a certain degree, but not in my career. So Mm -hmm. there's a couple of things I'll say. I think number one, it's normal to be concerned. I think it would be weird if people were completely writing it off and saying like, oh, you know, it's nothing. I'm just going to ignore it. I think you should be a little bit concerned. But with that, what I'll say is I think the most important thing to do in these times is to just educate yourself. Like, I didn't know the inner workings of SVB before this all went on. And I've had to learn a lot in the last 10 days. So I think everyone. What did you learn? What 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 was the biggest piece you took away from it? Um, there were a lot of big pieces. I mean, just down to like the intricacies of the the level of these investments that were insured, right? That two hundred and fifty k number. I never knew that. Yeah, I take that for granted because I work in fintech, and yeah. one of these four was an actual customer of mine in my book of business. Oh, wow. And so I made the joke at my company. I was like, I don't know what everybody's so worked up about. Like, I should be the one who's concerned. It's my <laughs> it's my churn number that's going to get yeah. hit with this. Right. Which right. is messed up. But uh yeah, 250k for somebody like SVB, I think the number was 91% of their depository accounts exceeded that number. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, doesn't mean anything. Was it 91? I thought it was higher than 91. But yeah, I don't know. I mean, I thought that I thought that was pretty damn high. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So have you fielded any questions either online, maybe not folks you're working directly with or yeah. from any clients of yours asking questions about this? And, and what would your advice to them be? Is it is it just to dive in to learn? Yeah, that's one thing. I think there's a couple other things that I would say. One is especially if you're in tech already, right? You should now know if you didn't already know this, nothing is guaranteed, which is not a fun thing to admit, but it's the reality. And so if you are feeling comfortable, maybe you should just remind yourself that nothing is guaranteed and take the appropriate steps to make sure that you're ready should something happen. So Go get all your data that you're going to need to calculate the metrics and the impact that you've had should you need to update your resume. Not saying you need to update your resume this weekend, but like go get the data so that if you need it later, you have it. Um, Another thing I'll say is it's interesting. I was talking to someone this morning who said her company has had a lot of layoffs and they just moved from team a team KPI to individual KPIs in the middle of a quarter. And I asked, well, did you ask why? So I think one other thing that I would recommend is you got to start demanding a little bit more transparency. Accountability. So 
if mm-hmm. your if your company come your manager comes to you and says we're not going to do team KPIs anymore we're going to do individual that can cause a lot of panic right it's like well if I'm the lowest performer does that mean I'm getting laid off mm-hmm. you got to ask questions you can't be afraid to ask why was that decision made why are we changing this what caused this why are we doing this now. Because if you don't ask the questions, you're going to create stories in your mind, and that's probably going to cause even more panic. And maybe this is assumed in the way you're describing this. But the other thing I would say is you better understand those numbers inside and out, how you how they're being measured, how they're being used, which I think is is kind of to your point, but how you can affect them. And you mm-hmm. should just know that so that you can do a, a, a good job. Yeah. But it'll help you understand what it what it is that your superiors, your senior leadership is looking at when they look at Carly, when they look at Dylan. This is mm-hmm. what he brings to the table. It's really important for you to understand how to have that, how to think that way and how to have that conversation should the need arise. Yeah. And I, I mean, I think this advice goes even in a normal market where things aren't as volatile when you're given a KPI, whether it's a team KPI, individual KPI, whatever it is, you should understand the why behind that. Why, oh, why is our NRR target this quarter 112% when last quarter it was 100? There had to be a series of conversations that happened that led to that huge jump in the KPI. If you don't understand that, it's going to be really hard for you to understand how you're impacting the overall health of the business. I take that a step further again, and I was talking to a a friend who they are just now starting to measure things like retention and expansion where he is, which that's fine, depending on the maturity of the the company. Everybody's got to start somewhere, right? Mm -hmm. He was telling me what his numbers were versus like his book of business or, or his expected numbers versus his book of business. And I said, well, how did they... How did they get there? Like, was it a percentage and then they like backed it out for 12 months or, you know, whatever's left in the year? How did they do that? And he's like, they said they figured out how much money they needed to make that year and then divvied it up against the CSMs. And I was like, and are you okay with that? (laughs) That method? (laughs) And again... Look, if you're just being introduced to KPIs, then you may not know whether you're supposed to be okay with that. Spoiler alert, you're not. That's a ridiculous way to do it. But really ridiculous. Yeah. That's that's called setting you up for failure. That's called finger in the wind measurements, yeah. right? Like there's mm-hmm. there's no uh, justification for it. But yeah. um, that's just a funny story. So how about those folks that are trying to get into tech? What if somebody came to you and said, hey all the stuff that's going on, do you think I should like be rethinking my decision to get into tech? What would your answer be? Yeah, I'm asked this question all the time. And the conversation usually goes like this. You know, I'm assuming that you want to break into tech because you want a career. You're not just like, I need a job. Let me go try to break into tech. That's not the case. Yeah. So if it's a career that you're looking for in tech, If you were to find yourself in a situation where you were laid off, unfortunately, it's the people who have more experience who are going to have an easier time finding a new gig. So if it's longevity that you want, I think putting it off, in other words, like putting off starting your career, it could actually end up hurting you in the long run. Now, am I going to 
pretend that everything is like roses and flowers right now and it's amazing and it's so easy to break into tech. No, I mean, that would be absolutely crazy. Obviously, with layoffs, there's more competition. I don't know if that changes dependent upon the industry either. Right now, at least. Yeah. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt you. I I want you to finish that thought. No, 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 no. It's okay. So, you know, it's it's a bigger conversation outside of just what's happening right now. If it's the career that you want, I say the sooner you get in, the better, because the more experience you're going to have. And a lot of VCs will say that when layoffs happen, it ends up creating more startups and more opportunity. Obviously, that takes time. Mm -hmm. But a lot of tech founders come from tech. And usually when layoffs happen, these people find themselves in a situation where they're like, well, this was unplanned. Might as well go start that thing that I've been thinking about starting for a long time. Yeah. So it's it's not all bad. I relate this back to the theory of like investing in the stock market. The kind of, I think it's conventional wisdom at this point that you know in single individual is, is really going to be very good at timing the stock market or like selling at the highest high and then buying in at the lowest low. And like, it's impossible to do. And so then what the recommendation becomes is, okay, you put 200 bucks in every week or every month or, you know, whatever you can do, whatever that incremental value is. And you get to ride the wave and just the, the general consensus that the stock market will over time continue to go up. And this strikes me as the sort of the same argument. Like there is no perfect time. And if you spend all of your time sharpening the ax and no time chopping down the tree, well, then you'll freeze to death because you never Mm -hmm. get the firewood. You've got to jump at some point and just get Mm -hmm. in. Yep. So another thing I want to ask you is it's related to this conversation we continue to hear or this this chorus of voices talking about CS as a revenue generator. I happen mm-hmm. to agree with it. I don't know that it's it's a it's a novel concept, but you're hearing it a lot more as the belts tighten. When you talk to folks either in a mentorship role or or through the training program and they're coming from you mentioned a lot of folks coming from BDR and AE. So strike them from this conversation because they yeah, it, They're already uh, the experts. They're already the expert. Well, maybe not. Maybe they're the <laughs> land, they're coming to the land of misfit toys cuz they couldn't hack it. And that's a different conversation. Yeah. But for folks, maybe educators Mm -hmm. coming to the CS world, if they were to ask you like, hey, do I need sales skills in order to do this job? What would your answer be? My blunt answer is yes. You're going to have to be doing some sort of selling, Mm -hmm. whether you have an expansion or renewal KPI or not. It's the nature of customer success. You're, You're always selling something. Selling in general gets a really bad rep. Yeah. Right. Um, I always like to use the hunter versus farmer analogy when it comes to customer success versus what I think a lot of people perceive sales to be. So a lot of people who have never done sales think sales is sleazy or pushy or you know, maybe even aggressive to use a really strong word. And that might be true in some industries. I I don't necessarily agree with that. But selling and customer success is more like farming, less like hunting. So you have this pasture, you have this land that already has 
you know, bared fruit for you and it's, it's healthy and it's amazing and you just need to take care of it and it will continue to produce for you. So I think going back to your question, yes, you need to have selling skills, but let's also have a, a conversation around what selling is and what that means to you because chances are, you know, the idea that you have in your brain is not actually what it looks like and feels like in practice. Mm -hmm. And I also think selling can be a lot of fun. You know, I don't think enough people talk about this. There's a real dopamine hit that you get when you close a, a good deal. I think everyone who's ever closed a deal can agree with that. Like, why don't we talk about that more? Like, that feels good and it can become very addicting. It can, but the, the highs are high and the lows are low, Carly. Yeah, sure. <laughs> but we're just talking about the highs right now. <laughs> yeah. Well, I also think I said that sort of facetiously because I think if you sell the right way, then the lows are not that low. Agreed. Because you are still building the relationship. This is not a zero sum game. You're mm -hmm. looking for opportunities to to deliver additional value to your customers. If they say, "Hey, that's not in the cards for us right now." They're not breaking up with you entirely. Right. They're still using your product. Maybe they bought something from you in the past, maybe they told you to come back to them later, maybe they don't have the budget. Any maybe they've got another contract with another vendor for another 9 months. They just can't make a move right now. There's a ton mm -hmm. of different reasons that the deal might not come to fruition. And it is very rarely like, oh, it's because Carly sucks. Right. Very rarely, if you're doing it the right way, they should not be thinking that. Yeah. And so, okay, people need the skills, but maybe they're not clear on what those skills are. How do you help folks uncover the skills they have that are actually mm -hmm. beneficial to a sales process? And then how do you have them communicate that in a conversation with a hiring manager. Yeah. So if you, if you really break down what selling is, it's uncovering needs and presenting a solution. So if these people in whatever role that they're in or whatever industry they're coming from have done that in a different context, that's amazing. You should talk about that. You should talk about the fact that you have done the basic things that go into a sales conversation or a sales motion. Um, the other thing that we really, really work on, and I can't give away all my secret sauce, yeah, but yeah. if you've not done the thing before and you're heading into an interview, you've got to have a rock solid perspective on how you would go about that thing because you, you need to have some leg to stand on. You can't just say, oh, I've never done that. It's got to be I've never done it like that. I've done this similar thing. And in this role, here's how I would approach it. And so we're doing a lot of education, a lot of enablement around what really goes into, for example, an easy renewal. It's not just, oh, you uncovered the needs and you presented ROI. There's other facets. There's nurturing champions. There's relationships with executive sponsors. There's growing adoption. So there's all these different variables that go into it. And if someone can go into an interview with a really, really strong perspective on how they'll approach something, I've seen it happen many a times. They might even beat out a CSM who has done the thing before because they have a crappy perspective on it. Or it's hard to teach an old dog new tricks. Right? Yeah. Yeah. 
All right. Carly, you and I are both in spicy moods. So <laughs> we're gonna we're gonna move on to the hot take portion of the podcast. And that is a segment that we refer to as BS in CS. Biggest load of crap I've ever heard. Number one bullshit. Oh, number one bullshit. Carly, if you could choose one, what is the trend catchphrase or otherwise related to customer Ugh. success that you would Do like to, to see? One? Can I give two? I love that you didn't even let me finish the question. I'm just so excited. <laughs> All right, let's go. Give me your best one first, and I'll let you know whether you're allowed to have a second one. Okay. Um, I'm going to say QBR slide decks that are more than, I'll be generous here, more than 15 slides. 15. How long's the the meeting? 60 minutes? Yeah. Wow. 15 slides? I think slides? they should be like five slides maximum. Can I tell you a secret? I don't usually have any. Oh, that's amazing. My, my boss could. doesn't think so. If I could, I would get rid of slides forever and ever and ever. Um, but I'm being generous. I'll let you have like 10 slides, but we got to get rid of the, the 60, 65 slide deck QBRs. And so then you're not in the camp of the half day QBR on site, meeting everybody in the offices QBR, because that's where it all started, right? And we've been whittling away at this thing until now it's 10 slides in one hour long. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's just, it's, it's not necessary. Now I know people will be like, well, I have this one situation, this one client where it really is. Mm -hmm. That's fine. I'm saying broadly, sure. we don't, executives don't want don't to sit mm -hmm. in an hour long QBR. And this is another thing I think we could go off on a whole tangent about this is like most CSMs aren't enabled to actually lead an impactful QBR. And I don't blame them. I think they've just not been enabled to have those conversations. They don't have the conversational skills or they don't have literally the ingredients to make the meal like data. Which one? The second one. Okay. Mm -hmm. I feel that pain, sister. I'll let you have another one. What's your second one? Okay. The other one, I really wanted to give you two things that no one has said before. So I hope no one has said these things. The term white glove support, we got to get rid of it. And I did, before we hopped on here, I checked in Google Jobs to see if that still is in CSM job descriptions. And it is. It's oh, go. it's in the CSM job description. Yeah. It's got to go. That's not what your CSM should be introduced as. Well, what do you do think they should be introduced as? Because this is this is something that has recently come up in BS and CS. What should they be introduced as? I mean, CSM is fine. Strategic advisor, strategic partner, consultant, not white glove support. Because what happens is the customer now hears the word support and they think, Great. So you're my product expert. I'm just going to pepper you with product questions. I love the 
this happens still happens to me where I'll introduce myself to a CEO and I'll say, Hey, here's what I do. Bop, 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 bop. I like, I'm here to constantly be realigning to your goals, trying to introduce pieces of our system that maybe you don't use today or you have access to and you're not using enough that should support you in achieving those goals. Mm-hmm. Never, ever once would I say that I'm a support guy and I still get emails from the CEO from somebody in his organization complaining about the system and explaining. And, and and oftentimes it's just a straightforward. There's no context to it. <laughs> so I think getting rid of white glove support is is one thing, but I think we've got to aggressively, and I want to use a word that strong, be telling these folks, no, that's not what I do. You've got to actively mm-hmm. tell them that you do not do that. Mm-hmm. And never, ever, ever be support if you are not support because it it breeds the wrong habits. That's what I was going to say. Then if you're going to claim to not be support, you better not be support. Mm-hmm. You've got to draw a, a boundary. You've got to create boundaries. Otherwise, you just get boxed in and then it's so hard to get out. Yeah. Those are perfect BS and CS oh, contributions. It. Thank you I could so do a much. whole hour. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> uh, everybody says it. Everybody's got many bones to pick. Anyway, <laughs> let's wrap it up, Carly. So the yeah. way I like to wrap things up, I like to give you an opportunity to call out your CS player of the week. Just Ooh, wanna, I just want to let you it. know, Carly, I think you've been a C- You, I think you are the most mentions as CS player of the week so far. Really? I don't know if you knew that. I did not know that, but you're right. making my day. That's amazing. Who out there is moving the customer success profession forward in the past seven days for you? Who do you want to give a shout out to? All right, I got to shout out my buddy, Dan Ennis. He's director of CS over at Monday. The humblest, kindest, smartest human being. But going back to what we were talking about earlier about scaled digital CSM, he's got a really, really strong perspective on it. And he's talking about it. And I don't think a lot of people are in the way that he is. Okay. So give him a follow. He's got some great insight. Very cool. All right. Referrals and recommendations. If you could take the audience members and point them in the direction of any one thing, and it does not need to be customer success related, could also be an activity, hiking, volunteering. Oh, what would it be? All right. Well, I picked out a book because I was thinking, you know, this is a customer success audience. And this is a book that I don't hear or see getting recommended enough. It's called The Outcome Generation. It talks about the kind of like the birth of customer success. And I just found it to be so enlightening. And I think everyone in customer success, everyone who's thinking about it should go read that book. Who is the author? Oh, I don't know. know. Because I think somebody may have. I don't know if they called it by its right name, but I think somebody. Uh, Paul Henderson. Yeah. I forget who it was. Somebody called him out before, but that it's fine. If it's got two votes, that just means it's that much more important. Just like you. (laughs) Carly, where can folks connect with you? Um, connect with me on LinkedIn. It's just my name, Carly Agar. I've got lots of free trainings on my LinkedIn. So if you're a CS vet, you're interviewing for a new CSM role, I've got a free training on there for you. 
If you're looking to break in to see us, I've got a three-hour free training on there for you. So check it out. That's cool. Is that then just the best place for folks to learn more about all the training offerings? Is your LinkedIn? Yeah. Yeah. I would say my LinkedIn or my website. It's just carlyagar.com. Cool. I'll yeah. put both in the show notes. Carly, thank you Thanks so much. Yeah, this was fun. It was. We're going to do a second round sometime soon. Cool. Let's do it. You've been listening to Lifetime Value, the podcast for customer success professionals. If you like what you've heard, please rate our show and subscribe wherever you find your podcast. Please note that the views expressed in these conversations are attributed only to those individuals on this podcast and do not necessarily reflect the views and opinions of their respective employers. For all inquiries, please reach out via email to dylan at lifetimevaluepodcast.com. Find us on YouTube via our channel, Lifetime Value, and find us on the socials at Lifetime Value Podcast. Until next time. This is Carly Agar, and you're listening to Lifetime Value, the customer success podcast. Woo! Oh, I hope you weren't offended that I called Sewell Sewer. It's just like a joke that we have. I mean, we already have bad attitudes, so what are you going to make it worse by making fun of my town name? I don't care. You set me up. <laughs> I might cut it out. I might cut it out if I'm feeling okay, generous. Maybe, maybe you should cut it out.